Ba-bang. Cool. I don't think I've ever done ba-bang before. That's my new <laughs> thing now, I guess. We'll Catch see how phrase. long that lasts. Yeah. How you doing, Drake? Doing well. How about you? I'm magnificent, you know? it's We're headed into the holidays. I love Christmas. Yeah. I'm a big Christmas guy. Oh, me too. Yeah, do you really? I feel like so many artists, and you know, it's a very, um, what's the term? Uh, polarizing thing among artists. A lot of artists yeah. are like, this. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's at least for me... Um, musicians too you grew up playing music man you gotta hate yeah oh well you know there are certainly aspects <laughs> of, of every every person who who would like me to make a lot of money suggests a christmas album around this time every year where they're like you should make one of those and you'll make you know a million dollars or something doing a classical guitar christmas record which no shade i mean you know i listen to some of them but um you know the same the same suggestion every year does get a little a little um taxing yeah yeah. artistically um, if not uh otherwise but there's something there's something kind of nice about i mean you know being having like a reserved magical month or something you know yeah well and you know what's gross about it buddy is i hate the thing that everyone hates about christmas is kind of the thing i love the most about it which is totally the american commercialism about it <laughs> i love the go out and buy shit here's all the new ads we made i hate ads i'm like one of those mm. people i pay extra on every streaming service no matter what it yeah, costs yeah. to kill them but i love christmas commercials i love the family mm. coming down and he gives it a little diamond even the cheesy sure. ones i just like yeah. that shit i get fuzzy about it i Aww. i don't know and i love the fact that all the uh stores put out lights and they play the songs and sh i like all of that yeah yeah i mean i i think there's there's a there's a a nice thing about i i'm sort of excited about this idea of ritual mm, like yes. coming back and doing the same kind of thing. I mean, I was, I, I grew up, uh, in a, going to a Methodist church and I, the, the like most magical service in that church was always the Christmas Eve service. Cause it was like dim lighting and everyone was holding it's candles the best part and of the singing year together. Church. And it was like, yeah, it was this very, like, um, it like made me understand a lot more about why people feel so like, um, so at home in places like that. It's just like this sort of, sort of constant familiar ritual, um, that I think is comforting. Um, well, let's lay if, down if the some... thing that you're, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I want to lay down some roots before we get too far yeah, yeah. away. We're talking about this Methodist church. Where is it? Where are you from, bud? Oh, I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You're a Winstonian. I'm a Winstonian. I am. I, I love that hospital, man. baby. I adore that. It is absolutely wild, man. I have come to have such an interesting relationship with that city, which I'm sure you do as well, mm -hmm. having gone to oh, yeah. this school for high school and college, which of mm -hmm. course we're going to get into. Sure. One of my best friends is in my wedding party, um, is Dave Thomas Brown, who is drama school, um, my age, but ahead of me. Cause I went late and, mm. uh, yeah, one of my best friends from school, he's from Winston, and he had that experience as well. If he did the drama high school program senior year, yeah, and then also yeah, yeah. did four years of college. So Winston until 22 <laughs> years old, which wow. is, I would imagine, your experience yep. as well? Yeah, okay. that was, uh, we we moved briefly to a suburb of Charlotte. My dad was an aircraft mechanic. Oh, yeah, um, sure. And so he ended up uh, working for US Air in, in the Charlotte airport right. for a few years and then moved back when I was like nine um, mm -hmm. So there were there was a brief few years where I wasn't, but for I was born here and 
most of my formative years. Were and here. sure, let's be honest. You know, I'm from Texas, which is a state that is gigantic, and it yeah. is like it is regionally very different. You can travel mm. like ten hours, still be in the state, and feel like you're in another country. Sure. North Carolina is not really like that. It is diverse left to right, east to sure. west. You definitely from beach to mountain. But I mean, even that's not that impressive, if I'm being honest, because in sure. I live in California now, beach to mountain, a quarter of the time that it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the mountains are bigger. And the, yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. So, but, but the thing that I love about um, hearing this is you would think in a place like North Carolina, where a lot of people make the argument that there's not a lot to do. I mean, talk to someone who's from like New York City sure. that chose to go to school in Winston. And I culture have. shock yeah. is, yeah, of course you do. We <laughs> all do. We all knew the, yeah. those people. And it's a culture shock for them. They're like, this place is slow. To have the kind of almost choice to leave mm -hmm. town, which I imagine you sort of did to go to another yeah. school somewhere. Yeah, I mean, and I, that I didn't happen. What do you love about staying in town? Or was it just that School of the Arts was that attractive to you that you're like, fuck, I guess I'll deal with four more years? Of well, I did. I did go um, go somewhere else for graduate school. Um, OK, and I think that so it was sort but of a delayed later. thing. I um, I did a two year master's degree at Yale um, okay. in classical guitar performance and then moved to New York. And then the pandemic happened and I'm actually back in Winston now. Okay, um, full circuit. So, but yeah, it was. So I, I think, and Winston is is a strange. It's been changed a lot even since you know. Every time I would make my my drive in my poor little Honda Civic all the way from Connecticut to Winston in a day, I was it would just be there. like this. Really? Yeah, I was just there for that homecoming thing they did. Oh yeah. Fall. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, it's every time I would come back, it would be like a totally different. Like it, it's growing kind of crazy. I like um, it now, man. I got to say, uh, Stephen Kopp and I, is, you know, he's my co-producer on the show. And yeah. We graduated together. We both had, I don't know how, we could count the number of times we've been back since graduation, which was 10 years ago, like less than one hand's worth each. Yeah. Um, and both of us hadn't been there in a long time since our last time. And so um, we both remarked on that. Like, it just feels like a totally different city which is weird because it, it also like feels a city like the now. same city yeah well, i think it's a lot of the a lot of the things that i liked about it are the same but there's there's you know there's a little more to do now and i also think that when people are here having having never lived on campus like i lived right. uh i Me lived either. with my folks i actually lived with my family through college at uncsa and lived like totally across town and wow. like you know didn't have the curfew in high school all my friends would have to go up to the dorms and i could practice right. till 2 a.m if i wanted to right i think uh a lot of people that were here just for school and like maybe didn't have a car because the public transportation's not the best and like didn't didn't really have the same experience because they weren't really talking so much about winston as they were about like the area just outside of the school of the arts yeah um that's a I really good point because you forget and this is, dude, that is such a great point. And people don't realize this because it's not a huge place. But when I brought my wife 
And she's from California. She's never been in North Carolina at all. And I brought her to Winston and we were taught. I, I was just throwing out the idea theoretically. I was like, what if we ever lived here? What would you think about that? Like, could you live in a place like this? And we're driving around Washington Park and we're driving around downtown. And she's like, ah, uh. yeah. And then later I took over by like Haynes Mall, Stratford, over on the commercial side of town. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, this also has... Like we have stores and stuff yeah, here you too. Can, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not it just. It feels like a completely different place all of a sudden. Totally. That if you don't know that stuff is there, also the east side <coughs> of town, like there's a lot to the city. Well, and people know that about big cities. Like I was, I, when I lived in New York after the pandemic, I lived in it, like on the line between Bushwick and Bed-Stuy and I worked right. in the middle of Manhattan at Lincoln Center. So I was like going underground and coming up in a different city. Like there was no, Correct. I didn't even see the transition. And people know that about L.A. And, and New York and and they they sort of people that don't think about cities that they haven't heard of, I think, don't realize that they're they can also be kind of sprawling. I mean, I had my uh, between my two years of graduate school, a friend of mine from Yale came back uh, with me for just to see Winston for a week or so when I was here on summer break. And, you know, it was it was very obvious that that she was um, like surprised by how much she liked the town and had never even been to this part of the country. Um, So even though we intellectually, I think, know that there's like a lot of very diverse places and they're very interesting places everywhere. um, You know, subconsciously, we kind of have this idea that that the stereotype, the media stereotype of wherever it is we're going is probably more true than not. And yeah, but a lot of the places are boring though, Drake, because I've done this research on some other towns. And when you start digging, you're like, oh, that, oh, this is it. Well, I just, I got, I kept getting this feeling whenever I talked to somebody that, and told them where I was from, that they have got an image in their head of me, like sitting on a, a porch of a house in the middle of a field with a piece of straw sticking out of my mouth. Which like yeah, is, right, right. Sounds right. lovely. Kansas. I'm not gonna lie. I would love to do that for yeah. a few days. But I think that the um the the assumption about, you know, uh I have indeed still experienced rush hour as someone who <laughs> wasn't from right. you know, there's traffic Chicago where I'm or from. New York. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, um, so let's 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 get some foundation here because I'm very interested how one decides to throw their eggs in the classical guitar basket. <laughs> what do your what what's your family dynamic like? Siblings, parents, yeah, what are they doing so for work? My my uh I have one brother and and my parents so it was a four person sort of stereotypical unit. Oh, nice. Um That's I have one size, younger man. brother and he's he's uh um, a computer, um, it's computer scientist. And then I have, uh, he's also, he's a, an artist as well, but he, he draws. And then I have my, um, my dad was an aircraft mechanic for a really long time. It was a big, right. You mentioned that. And then my, my mom is kind of, kind of does everything. She was always this, she was, she was staying at home when we were younger. And then, I mean, she's like, she did, um, biology uh like cultures for for the hospital and she was she like worked at H&R Block and did taxes and Does she was aircraft the mechanic forest, pay like, pretty good is that why mom can kind did, of play yeah. around well it was it was more that like um my dad had this one very big interest and had like stayed up and gone to like night school and stuff to like or right. worked at night to like work himself up to like being certified and was a lead mechanic and he went to like trade really school? In, 
Yeah. And was, was very into really into it. And his dad, my grandfather, um, was also worked for Delta and then Piedmont airlines. It was like a family thing. And my mom is just sort of a really versatile person. Um, and so she was able to get these gigs doing things that were really fascinating and interesting. Um, and none of them were like a thing that she was like, this is my career and I, I must spend my time doing this. So it was easier for her to be the one to stay home when we were younger. And then when she, when, when we were old enough that she could, she wanted to go get a job again. She was like the manager of the Winston-Salem youth chorus, you wow. know, she, like, like found these really interesting things to do. Um, Is mom the reason you're music-y? Uh, dad was the one that played guitar. Mom was a mom okay. played flute a little bit, but not as much around the house. My dad loved playing like folk guitar, um, around the house. And I fell in love with it really, really early to the point where like, I was not big enough to play the smallest guitar that they could find when I wanted to learn. So they like got me violin lessons for like a year and a half. Um, and then when I was like four or five, I finally, they found a guitar Damn. small enough. Um, violin so yeah, it was, at four? It was, yeah. I mean, those Suzuki kids start early. Holy shit, dude. Um, so I was, I was really into it from a young age and I had this, uh, it was, it was kind of weirdly serendipitous because um, UNCSA, my parents were kind of like, Hey, if you study classical, you could, this, it was at the time the high school program was free. Right. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's awesome. I could, I was yeah. homeschooled cause we had moved a little bit and my, Oh, had um, you ever gone to public school or private I went school there before? For, for, I went to public school for elementary school. And then in fourth grade, I started being homeschooled cause we had moved enough that we were going to have to end up in a so couple you of schools had grown in the same up. year at home and then yeah. where is your social activity coming so from outside we did a lot of the extracurriculars i was in community theater i was in uh Fuck youth yeah. chorus i was uh my brother did boy scouts like we we found so these you went things to a methodist we, church was there stuff at yeah. church there was some stuff at church i ended up actually being the contemporary music director of that church uh when i was in college what does um, contemporary music director mean i know so what music they, director is they often have a couple of services and one of them is a like a traditional service with an organ and the other one is a contemporary service that has like any anywhere from sort of your stereotypical Christian rock stuff to right. some kind of um uh so you're just the modern guy thing. you're the contemporary yeah, I was music the modern guy. dude I well that. and I was I was very into like using that as a platform to like play interesting folk music um, Are you still involved with the church now? Not as much. Uh, when I left and came back, I didn't. I didn't pick it up again. Got it. Um, as much. I mean, I've been back a few times, but uh, the, the the one of the biggest reasons that I stayed in Winston after the pandemic had kind of settled was uh, that a lot of almost all of my extended family is here, and I had some grandparents who were going through some end of life stuff, so it was easier for me to stay here and help take care of them. And they were the ones that were involved in that church, so I spent a lot of time. Um, there recently. Um, Are and you, I can tell. Do you consider yourself a person of faith? Um, or is I, the that's church a, that's a music fairly... relationship? You know what I mean, though. Yeah, yeah. Because I personally, and I'll t- I'll give you a little context, so maybe it's an easier question to answer. It's mm-hmm. a big question. So here's here's what I mean. I am not. I grew up that way, but I'm not now. Mm-hmm. And I found out fairly young that I did not click with the idea of being at church sure. first. 
the religion thing in my head was something to sort out later. Right. But when I was in high school, I grew up from like fifth grade. I was a drummer. So mm-hmm. when I got to high school, it felt like the only opportunities I had to play and practice since I wasn't allowed to have a kit in my house was to get hired at a church in a band because they have uh, instruments. Oh, that's where a lot of the, that's where a lot of the music gigs are. Um, Yeah. And I, I think and with drummers, they have kits like at the church, they'll let you play. You can just show up. Yeah. It's, it's well, and and some of those gigs play, pay extremely well. And it's, it's a big draw for people that like you're saying, like don't necessarily have, um, the, the like impetus to be there otherwise, or the, the belief or desire to be there otherwise. But it's really interesting to me because I, I consider myself, I, I, I consider it a big part of my en- identity to have been raised that way. And I like, right. I get, I, I get sentimental about some of the old hymns and stuff like that. Cause it's easy to incorporate that into some of the music that I make. Um, I think that everyone kind of develops their own relationship based on how whatever church it was that they went to and what it meant for the people in that church. And I had a remarkably positive experience compared with most of the people that I know my age. Man, Methodist Um, is pretty chill, too. Yeah, that was well, I think that was a big part of it was that it was not so I didn't feel as judged, I think, as a lot of people that grow up. A lot uh, of my parts of my family are Methodist. Yeah, going to church. Um, but, and I, but the funny thing was that I, at the same time that I was directing the music there, I was the song leader at, uh, Temple Emmanuel Synagogue. And the difference is is not the same thing. No. And the difference, the difference in, in, um, I mean, you know, they, I, when I, when they asked me if I would do it, I said, I, I just so we're clear, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. And they were like, okay, you know, (laughs) whatever. Uh, Like same thing happened to me. There was no... You know, and I, I would get like I would get this like um I would get this uh a little bit of a fear because even in the Methodist church sometimes I felt like people were like expecting me to be like kind of um more knowledgeable about you know bil- biblical scholarly things because I was on the stage or at the pulpit and stuff like that. And right. it was a little it felt it it felt like a little bit of pressure to kind of know what I was doing. And with the synagogue, they were fully aware that I did not, and right. that it was it was totally fine and acceptable. So it was definitely an interesting dichotomy, and and like the one place I grew up in, and the one place I didn't. Uh, it's like you owed a group of people an awareness, and then the other group you didn't, and so you kind yeah. of ended up having the freedom it was to just very, like do your it thing. It was very transparent that I was not expected to know Hebrew. I ended up learning a little bit, um, which I have, I think, since lost, but you know, just because you're there every single Friday night. Right. But you were saying something similar happened to you? Well, something similar happened to me where I got hired to as a comedian to play this gig for pride. And I am bisexual, but I wasn't really out about that Mm. at that time. Yeah. And I'm certainly not gay. And so I, (laughs) I got hired to play this gig at like a private mansion in Beverly Hills. And it was going to, it was clearly (laughs) going to be like all, almost entirely gay men. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and it was for pride. It was during that week as yeah, part of like a whole like celebration. That the, the whole point. Yeah. And I was like, 
hired to play this thing on Instagram. They reached out to me on Instagram and they were like, Hey, do you want to come do this thing? And it paid incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not gay. And they Mm -hmm. were like, Oh, we don't care about that. Yeah. And I was like, not at all. Like you don't want to give <laughs> the gig a to bit. a gay guy, like who yeah. would really use this need this money. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and in retrospect, it's like, all right, I okay, I'm bisexual. They didn't know that, and I didn't present sure. that way in any way. So it's like it, it didn't feel as much of like a fraud. Sure. Uh, and when I was at the yeah, gig, like you it was knew fine, internally but, that it was that it was in. Yeah, like but it still felt it felt weird because. Yeah. Uh, it it didn't feel so. I, I mean, half of me was like, I feel like I'm taking a job away from somebody else. Another part yeah. of me was like, kid, you need the money. Fucking take the gig. Yeah. Also, it was like still when I was newer to doing stand up in the long scheme of me spending time doing that. So I was like, it's a gig. Like it's a paid stand up gig, which is like when totally. you're new is is fucking insane Crazy. to get paid yeah. to do it. Yeah. You're like. 10 years I'm going to pay other people in one way or another to do this shit. And then maybe one day they'll give me 50 bucks. Yeah. And this was like not 50 bucks. So I was like, yeah, "Yeah, let's go. Let's do this thing. And and you're right. Once you get on stage in that environment and the pressure is off because everyone knows everyone, let's, let's be honest. Everyone knows you're a fraud. So you can just behave (laughs) the way you want to. Have well, and the thing it. is, even if you're not like I, I didn't feel necessarily like a, you know, I, I had the sort of like the relationship with religion that I had cultivated as a kid in that Methodist right. church. But like there's this kind of like imposter syndrome when you're the one who's supposed to be like leading people. Yeah, no, for sure. You're like, I don't I mean, there's, you know, especially as a as a musician and as like with the with the classical guitar thing, I felt that in school, too, where it was like. I felt very capable in a practice room, but the minute I'm like alone on a giant stage, just like little old me with a guitar and a footstool, it was like, uh, do I know how to do this anymore? You know, how, I don't feel like I should be the one that's here. You know, how does it evolve for you as a classical musician? I have a lot of obviously from mm-hmm. school and otherwise. Also, my wife was a classical musician uh, in school awesome. before she became a therapist. She went to uh, um, SFCU. Mm-hmm. SFCM, SFCM, uh, okay. San Francisco Conservatory Music. Right, right, right. Um, she's a singer, and uh, <laughs> we have a bunch of friends that are, are classical musicians from her school. It's interesting to me the path from when you're young, as you're going through the process of practicing what is theoretically and has been historically a lifelong practice of always getting better and becoming the best of whatever you're going to do for that thing. Um, You know, it's not like you, it's not like other skills, I don't think, or even other art forms where it's like, you really, you kind of reach a point where it's like, you've done a lot of what you're going to do. I feel like with musicianship, it's like, there's always a harder piece to learn how to fucking do that. You can't do that. You're pushing yourself towards. But my question is, as you're going through the evolution of being like you said, five and finally getting a guitar or whatever it was and then going to a focused education then going i'm gonna stick with this focused education out of high school into college mm-hmm. and then you get out of college and you gotta go live your life at how does it evolve your thoughts on where you're gonna like make money and have a career and stuff because i would imagine when mm-hmm. you're five and when you're 25 it's not the same sure. and it changes well, many times 
I will say it's been kind of cyclical for me because when I was a kid, I was very, I was just enamored with making sounds that were cool. You know, like there was no, you start with like, I love that. I want to do it. Oh, I'm doing it. And I still love it. And I love that I'm making these sounds. And I feel to, I, to the point where like it was it was an extremely useful emotional outlet for me as a kid where I would just like lock myself in my room and and play and just like wail on something that I was really into or like experiment and devote my attention. What to are you it working and, on when you're first playing? Um, uh, I mean, honestly, my parents had a whole bunch of uh, like concert DVDs and CDs and stuff. And so for the first for the first very long time, I was just learning stuff by ear and by like watching people play guitar on these DVDs. And like so who? it's it's a bunch of like the the examples. Let me try to think of some. They had like Fleetwood Mac. Fuck they yeah. had like Leonard Skinner. They had sure. like uh, um like a Bon Jovi one. There were just like, but my parents were like very into the, for a very while. classic like Rocky. What we yeah, would have the, called classic rock when we were young. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, like just, just, uh, I got really into the folk stuff and the, like my dad had a bunch of, uh, Cat Stevens and Jim Croce and you're in a great region like that. for that. Right. Right. And exactly. And, 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 uh, having, uh, like Doc Watson and some of the old bluegrass stuff. And that's the stuff that he would play a lot. Um, got so it. I got really into the acoustic stuff. Um, and he was teaching me for a while. I ended up getting a teacher in town. And again, it was this infrastructure thing of like UNCSA is here. So there's a bunch of musicians that graduated and stay here. So you right. can go study with someone who's awesome <laughs> and then like yeah. get into high school and study with someone else who's awesome. And like, you know, there was this there was this like inbuilt public infrastructure to like get me this thing I wanted really bad. And um, what did you want really bad? I just wanted to play what I wanted to play. And I was really excited about making the music that I wanted to make. And then as, uh, as I started in high school at UNCSA and the system of like, this is what we do here. And this is like, that's when I think the sort of pressure of expectations started to set in. Mm. And that was the most like cynical phase of music making for me, because it was all about like executing something perfectly. And like, I, you know, I think that I had this and a lot of people in like late high school, early college classical music, I think, have this attitude about them of like. You're sitting in a room full of people who are judging you and not just in a like productive way, like it was it was mm. productive. People were giving you feedback and telling you the things that you could fix in a very like I would like for you to do this so that it sounds better and doesn't have anything to do with your self-worth kind of way. But at the same time, the social aspect of going to such a small school and having everyone know how quote unquote good you are um, because you have to play in masterclass every week in front of everybody. And, and like it like introduced this level of anxiety around just, I realized just classical playing. Hmm. Um, and why did you I choose realized, classical playing as a major then if it, if the rigidity of it seemed to kind of be prickly it, to you? Well, it was a slow, it was a slow ingest. I loved the music Right. Um, and it was the thing that was here for me to study. Like it was the thing that the institution was here for me to study. And I don't regret studying it. And I, I still love the music to this day um, and play it to this day. I think that the the institutional aspect of um, at the same time as I was getting better and I was really excited and proud about getting better and I could play things that I couldn't play before, even in other genres um, and make sounds that I really liked at the same time. 
the the um it wasn't so much just the rigidity of like you won't let me do what i want man as like this this like deep-seated thing that started to attach itself to my self-worth where if i if i like messed up a run i was not as good and it became like this sort of like like this this like rotating self-hatred thing Mm. um that when i started performing other genres again when I was in college and and started, you know, a band and was like playing with um, writing music and and feeling more secure with writing music. And I played at a bar and I felt like I could have like a beer with me on stage sure. and I could like take a sip in between. That was the thing that actually really broke it for me was this mm. like um, this uh, feeling that I owned the space again. Yeah. And that I wasn't like walking out trembling, trying to impress someone. But in fact, like the people were there to hear me and they weren't there to like, you know, in, in when I was uh, when I was in grad school, you, people would literally have the score in their hand and they would be like looking for wrong notes as you were playing, which was like, right. obviously, I see the point of it in terms of practice, but it, it felt very soul sucking because I was like, I'm trying to like emotionally move you which will not yeah. happen even if I do play everything correctly because you're buried in this, like, right-wrong thing. Um, so it was very hard to, like, divorce those two. Um, and on top of that, starting to write um, music that wasn't necessarily classical, the division between, like, the composition students and the performance students being, like, everybody was doing everything like the composition students can play instruments extremely well. And the instrumental students usually can write pretty well too. But every time you'd ask them about it, Oh, I'm not a real composer. I'm not a real singer, whatever it was that they weren't studying. They like, why do you think good at, why do you think these feelings, where do you think they come from? Why does everybody feel like there's this rigidity? And is there a way to still teach the uh, level of execution and craft and technique that those people are trying to get out of you uh, without creating that culture? Well, I think that addressing the, um, just sort of addressing that those feelings can potentially arise is important because the only mm. the only time I ever noticed that it was happening was after it had happened. Got it. Um, and it was this kind of slow burn thing of like, I can't feel my face when I play classical guitar on stage anymore and i don't know why because i used to like you know performing and now i love yeah. playing and i love playing for friends and i love playing in my practice room and i love playing outside on a beautiful day and the second that it's this like everyone sit down and face the face me and i'll play and the, the room is otherwise totally silent it's it's like introduces this anxiety and i think just addressing the fact that um that's normal yeah, I mean, well, the first and the the control of it all, the first masterclass I was in in high school, we didn't play. We practiced walking on stage, bowing, sitting down, playing a single chord, bowing and walking off stage. Right. Which is like, and and there were like a bunch of things you could screw up. The teacher was like, you yeah. you can, you you got to bow like this and you got to take this much time. It's like and you walking don't look in a doing beauty that. pageant and it was or like, something. Yeah, it was just like, this is, I'm, I'm terrified already. As like mm. a, you know, 15 year old, I haven't played a single note, you know. But um, do you think there's value in that exercise? Is there a way to get you to do that without you feeling like you're freaking out? I think that uh, giving notes that make someone want to uh, 
incorporate them and 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 be uh, critical in a sort of positive, productive way about their own right. performance, rather than rather than like having the rigidity be the the first foot forward. Like mm. it, I think I remember this one point, and I won't name names, but there was I was on someone else's senior recital, okay, and she played a wind instrument, and she came backstage and was like is it okay, do you think it's okay if I have my water bottle on stage with me? And I was like, uh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why would that not be like, like that was going to be like, it was going to ruin the performance or it was going to look unprofessional mm. or something to like have a water bottle and you play a wind instrument. Like you need... Yeah. You know, it's going to sound better. Like why? Like it like this flood of realization of like, oh, like I don't feel like I own the space that I'm playing in. I don't feel like I'm there to like deliver this thing that I love. I feel like I'm like walking into a job interview every time I, you know, every time I play. This is very interesting to me. And I think it's an interesting comparison between the different art forms, because obviously I only talk so much about uh the music program. I only, I've only had only so many people. Uh, mm. But I just had a conversation with Stephen Cop on his second episode after we went to the homecoming thing because we observed an acting class on campus mm. while we were there this fall. And it was a second year acting class with uh, Carl Forsman. And it was very reminiscent of when we were there. It felt a lot like the energy that the students had felt like a lot of the energy that we had or other people had at the time, not mm -hmm. as much us because we were directors and we were older, mm -hmm. but the acting students in our class, I mean, it looked like watching them a hundred percent. It felt yeah. very similar. And we were talking about it later and I kind of gave the analogy of the tough thing about it is that they have this great opportunity where they actually are allowed to screw up in that particular context. That's not a performance. That's a class. Sure. And they're, they're making acting choices, which is very different from playing classical music because there is no interpretation in classical mm. music. There's not that much for you to interpret. There may be a little room for you to be like, how exactly do I handle this dynamic or something? Or or what, what does that volume increase, that crescendo mm. mean in exact decibels? I mean, yeah, there might be some room there. But other sure. than that, it's like you said, it's rigidity. It's play mm. these notes in this time, this way, exactly. And it's mm. that perfection that you're kind of going for. Which creates an anxiety, of course. Why would it not? Sure. Uh, well, to try to be perfect. It like flies in the face of because there there is uh there is a lot of interpretation I think but it it it's it's very loaded. But that's not what the you, teachers you, seem to be looking for. Well, you don't get to decide everything, and if you do decide something, um, someone someone might tell you that it's like objectively wrong for some historical reason or right. So like it's the it, I think the anxiety is that you do have the ability to make these choices but that that someone can think they're stupid and that you don't want someone to judge you and think that Great. they're stupid or, that helps or, with my analogy so we were yeah. talking about the acting class and 
we were watching them and thinking to ourselves, okay, fully objectively as us as 35 year olds, we're watching this going, these poor kids have this great opportunity and nothing's changed. It's not like it, it just dawned on us seeing it as older people. These poor kids have such a great opportunity to fuck up because they're in this rehearsal studio in North mm -hmm. Carolina that, that no one can see them. <laughs> right. It's okay to make a mistake. Just make a choice. Yeah. You have to do something. And a big yeah. hurdle that these artists were having in the moment was they were approaching an acting moment and making no choice and just kind of doing it without mm. deciding boldly. Without I'm like gonna experimenting. Make this. Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, that didn't work. Second take, I'm going to go this way, separate yeah. direction. And they know the language and they know what, how to do those things. Mm. But there is, like you said, a pressure because they have their acting teacher who is however they feel about them, XYZ experienced mm. teacher, just like yours, where it's like he's going to be here's a specific thing that came up in the class. Me and my wife have still talked about this. There's a moment in the scene where the girl goes to the window of a hospital. Someone's in the hospital bed. They're unconscious. She's kind of milling around the room and then she goes to the window and she looks out the window. He stopped the scene and he asked the actress, what are you looking at? And she was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're looking out a window. What do you see? Yeah. And so she starts trying to kind of guess and they're really weak choices. She, I, I, uh, cl uh, clouds, uh, birds. Yeah. But and he's she says birds at one point and he just latches on to this and kind of goes on this little mini thing about nobody looks at birds. There are no birds out there. <laughs> like, look, look through your whole life of looking out a window. Yeah. And maybe you see a bird once for a second and it leaves. But you don't watch birds. That's a and his point was that you didn't spend enough time thinking consciously mm -hmm. and realistically about a choice to make. And he was right. pointing that out in front of everybody. But what the entire room got wrapped up in, including us after we left and my wife and I, after we got back to California is do people fucking look at birds? Is that yeah. a fair yeah. call out? I mean, and that's not the point. Yeah, it's not. But it's it's it also fun to it held up the actors in the class Yeah, to get caught up on, oh, well, I don't want to pick a choice that he's going to like tear into me of, no one's right. ever done that. Yeah, And so they step back from choosing rather than what he would really like them to do, he was which is go them to do, yeah. pick another thing. Yeah, Birds, bad, try again. Yeah, this bad. Try again, and that's the process. Not just, just like try to find something that is well. And I think while he's pulling them out of their shell, and what he would like to do, and I think yeah. most artistic teachers would like to do, is they want to see you keep trying boldly and not be scared, even if right. that try is to get something exactly perfect or yeah. to come up with a brand new idea. Well, and the truth is, like, there's there's no obviously. I mean, this is sort of a silly philosophical point but obviously there's no like objective perfection when it comes correct. to any of this stuff but we're like told to chase it anyway correct and what you what you want is is for something to be exactly what you wanted it to be even if that moment is kind of a forehead <laughs> slap like oh my god this is yeah. i can't I didn't even think of that but it's perfect but right. like but like the thing that you're chasing is like something beautiful not right. like something right necessarily it like and i think that we, is there not beauty in the rightness well there is no rightness really i mean there's there's some stuff it's it's weird because i think there's some stuff that's wrong 
but I don't know that there's any, there's not like a thing that is right. Does that make sense? Don't get me. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love the singer from cake. I love Thelonious Monk. I love people who go, I'm going to fucking not do this. Yeah. Syncopation's my shit. But what I'm saying is when things do align in the way that our brain expects them to, which is a lot of how so Mm -hmm. much music works is about expectation and where our brains think it's going to go. Sure. And it either kind of goes there or slightly or doesn't. doesn't. But when yeah. it breaks the rules hard, like the note is flat or the mm-hmm. thing comes way late or it just becomes this arrhythmic nothing, our brains don't tend to like it. Those don't sure. become mainstream pop hits. I'm not saying everyone should make mainstream pop hits. But my point is, is there not something to appreciate in delivering the brain exactly what it thinks it's going to get? Well, I think the thing is that like not everybody be a perfection. Well, but not yeah, a perfection. But I think that's the thing is that we like not everybody has the same idea of what that's what right. It, what it is that they want and what that's you right. should be chasing is yours. And the suggestions that other people are making, uh, whether they're teachers or fellow students or or people that you decided to play for or show your work to or whatever, is. I didn't I mean I the the most amazing epiphanies that I've had in the work are when people have said I think that you should try this and it's something that I hadn't thought of at all but that like was cl- it's, you're looking for the like forehead slap moment of like of course that's what I should do that's exactly what this needs thank you I yeah. have no idea like right. it's not this like oh well, yeah I guess I should try it cuz it is the thing that you're supposed to do it's like Oh yeah, mm. like I this is it now and I didn't even know that and right. you're like sort of chasing this intangible thing um and that's like what I feel like that's what the feedback is for these like epiphany right. moments of like and you know they they feel a little bit less intense later in the game I think when like when you're when you're 18 and you're a freshman in college and your teacher shows you a new hand position and you're like we solved music it's all I fixed it you know and you right. kind of start to realize that that's not exactly uh, that's not exactly what what um, you know. It's not going to change everything, but it's still a valuable uh, epiphany right. to have. Um, and I think the sort of blessed unrest thing that you were talking about, the like chasing, becomes a lot more exciting when everyone isn't chasing the same thing. Mm. Because when you are all trying to be the best possible rhetorist in the world. Right. And someone has faster scales than you or whatever. Like there is never going to be one of those people because there are people that are better at certain things and not as good right. at other things. And like you might have better tone, but but she might have a faster scale pattern or what you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that if if you're chasing the best musician that you can be and like the things that you are really excited about executing well are the things that you are chasing, then you're not. It's this sort of classic, like, I'm only in competition with yesterday's me thing. And it becomes a lot less soul-sucking, I think. Because the the nice thing about being a classical guitarist was that uh, a lot of that energy does come from the, like, the like competition circuits and like competing for orchestra seats and stuff that like that's the shit i've never liked about classical music is the well and classical guitarists don't we were not under any illusion that this was gonna be like a gangbusters job you know what i mean we were right there was sure you're not like a violinist in that track right no one was no one was uh was lying to us and being like all of you are gonna get jobs teaching classical guitar even though you know there are 
a handful of schools who already have teachers and all of those schools are turning out at least eight guitarists a year. Right, the numbers yeah. don't make sense. Um, so it's it's this thing of like we already knew that we were going to have to invent whatever it is that we wanted to be um, in a way that I think a lot of classical musicians don't get to initially consider until they're they either get the orchestra job and they love it and they still do that, which is great, or they don't get the orchestra job and they're upset and they have to have that kind of moment of of reflection where they do get the orchestra job and they don't like it. You know, a lot of different things could happen, but I feel like the um the freedom, especially with doing the the church gig and doing the like writing and releasing cl- a classical record and a few non-classical records made me realize that like I could just be the artist that I was excited about being and that's what I could chase. And anything that you know, when someone told me that I was supposed to have a faster scale or I was supposed to be able to do this or that, it was like, I'm in graduate school for classical guitar performance. Like the supposed to ship sailed a long time ago. Like there's no, Mm. I'm not doing something that I'm supposed to do already. Why would I start now unless it's in service of a thing that I'm excited about doing? Like if I'm, if I want to play a piece that's got those scales, I'll work on them and I'm excited about them. But if I'm just right. supposed to have them for the sake of them, it's not as meaningful to me anymore as it was when I, when my like, you know, 19 year old college competitive brain was in it a little more, and I was more anxious about it. What do you think the relationship is between, or should be between, someone paying for an education versus trusting the institution to deliver the education that they need, right? Because it's like there's a dynamic at some institutions where it's like the students don't have any say, like I would Mm -hmm. give school of the arts when I was there kind of an, that might be a great example of it because we didn't pick Mm -hmm. any classes. You don't pick any casting. You don't pick what scenes you want to do for the most part. It's very Mm -hmm. prescriptive. It's very do this thing and trust that when you're done doing it, you'll be better. It's ba- yeah. it's that simple. Then there's right. other schools, obviously liberal arts and other experience, but now even more so where it's like, not just you could pick your classes, but at a lot of schools, the students have a tremendous amount of impact on mm-hmm. what casting they get or what songs sure. they play or how they're treated in a class by a teacher as far as mm-hmm. just uh, language and all these things. There's so much more input, which I think can be very helpful because yeah. we've always had things like, professor reviews or feedback at the end of semester. We've always said like shit like that. A lot of people don't take seriously, but now Mm -hmm. it's like if the whole student population is pissed about something, there's probably going to be a change about it pretty quick. And that didn't used to happen. Sure. What do you think is that are your thoughts on that relationship when you're like paying for someone because you're giving them a shitload of money, but at the same time, if you already knew what you needed to know, you wouldn't be there. Well, I think that the truth is there is no institution that will ever be perfect for any individual person, right? Sure. Like, there is no way that you are going to find a college program that you're like, this is everything that I needed and nothing that I didn't need. Because obviously there would be one college for every human on earth if that was the case. So there's no, there is no institution that is like going to be what you need a hundred percent and if you like identify only with what you're doing in that institution, then it's going to be really unfulfilling because some of it's going to feel like busy work and other stuff is going to feel too hard. And it, you're going to learn this thing you didn't want to learn and you're not going to learn this thing you did want to learn or whatever it is. 
Um, but treating that institution as like a singular facet of who you are as an artist and like the things that you are getting from that institution that you want is very exciting and whatever you're not getting, you can chase is, um, I think, a. I think the way that I started looking at it in graduate school, um, because I was getting a lot out of graduate school and also there were things that I felt like I was really missing. And I realized that like seeing, seeking those things out other places and not feeling like I was just like identifying myself as a graduate student and like whatever I didn't get from that school was, was a really a shame that I didn't get it. Do you think um, that's inherently it, at war with the idea of a conservatory that's prestigious? Like it's really hard for an 18 year old not to like be like, I got into this place and now that is who I am. Oh, I mean, I think they're that kids. Yeah, I think that it's I think that it's something everyone has to discover. I don't think that yeah. I don't think that it's something that you you can really know as a 17-year-old applying to colleges or even right. especially in my case uh as a as a 13-year-old trying to get into high school somewhere, right. which is another bonkers thing. Like the idea that I was like anxious and worried about a classical guitar audition as a 13-year-old kid it's something I, did that. I think about sometimes, you know. I moved to like, New York City and had to audition for, uh, you know, performing arts high schools. And, and like that, it is a weird ass time to try to yeah. hold yourself to that level of standard and pressure to have like full on professional adults yeah. tell you that you're not good enough to your face. Well, and we like had, you know, the things that I wanted to do uh, that I got excited about that were non-classical or whatever at the time. Now it seems like they're actually doing a little bit more non-classical stuff in the music school at UNCSA but at the time oh yeah maybe it was pretty strictly classical other than maybe the jazz band or stuff like that but there was um you know I started like I was in a duo and we started writing music at like you know in the middle of the night because it was all the time we had but it was very exciting because it was something we were like building on our own um and I think that there's there's a lot to be said for like finding ways to cultivate that individual artistry. Um, what did you guys do for intensive arts while you were there? Uh, we didn't do, because intensive arts, if, especially for the musicians, was like a huge carve out for musicians. It had to be a nutcracker. Right. Um, if you weren't so in that, we were, what would you do? We were, um, as guitarists, we had a lot of um, just individual classes. Like we do some Alexander technique stuff. They'd have guitarists, uh, guest guitarists come in and give master classes and stuff, which was always one of my favorite things. Like having them like fly in someone that was like an idol of mine. And yeah. I got to like play for them in this like tiny little 38 seat hall and get feedback from someone that I was like, every word you say is gold, you know? Yeah, that's super and cool. I, but I, uh, um, a lot of it was very, um, it, it was basically just like all the stuff that we wish that we could offer that we can't all the time happens Right, now. exactly. We can get it um, for the weekend. Yeah, which apparently, I, I, I apparently intensive arts is is very recently no more. It's um, very different and mostly doesn't exist. Yeah, that's what it was explained yeah. to me. Um, I think drama is one of the only ones left, which is oh, really? such a, yeah, it's such a drag because the drama's intensive arts is the intensive arts that everyone on campus should get. Um, mm. I don't know if you know anything about the way that it works. I don't, I don't dude. And maybe there's lots of people <laughs> who are listening to this, especially from dance and, um, uh, music. I know we have a, a great number of, uh, listeners from that. Maybe you don't know about how it worked. And like I said, I usually don't talk too much about school, but I want to lay this out because sure. I think it has tremendous value. And I think it's something that, um, I don't even know if it exists this way anymore, but I, man, 
I wish I could do drama intensive arts every year, mm. not even on school campus, like just with other artists, like this That's thing cool, that I'm yeah. about to describe. So here's how it worked. Basis is that it's two weeks. It takes place in the first two weeks of December. It is after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are performances and all that stuff and everything is wrapped up before Thanksgiving for the, uh, at my, when I started trimester and then, uh, you know, <laughs> eventually the semester, whatever. So yeah. then we come back from holiday. We've had a little breather. You've gotten all your big shit out of the way. You don't, nothing's due now. You're done. But you have two weeks of intensive arts. And for the two weeks, there are two things happening. The first thing is the thing that you described, which is like we have some master classes. We took like ballroom dancing, something that yeah. we would never spend a whole semester on, like you said. But, um, you know, uh, clowning, some extra clowning classes. A guy from the circus came, shit like that. Just like yeah. what you said. That's during the day. But you're done at like three or four at the latest, maybe even two o'clock, you're like done for the day with those classes. Pretty minor. The other thing that's happening over this two weeks is essentially a massive two-week theater festival that is essentially uh, a fucking open mic. Nice. With a little bit of approval. Yeah. So only second, third, and fourth years may do a piece. Mm -hmm. And given where you are in the program how many pieces you can do stuff like that has changed yeah. many times throughout all the years but that's so cool for the first week and a half it is rehearsals until the goddamn sun comes up i mean people work right. their ass off on these things and i'm talking original musicals i'm talking uh short plays comedy scenes clown sketches i mean it's like a it is like a classic almost uh burlesque variety show theme but it's like an open mic like i said you have to submit to the faculty and they have to approve that you can do it um and you usually have a faculty member step in on a rehearsal once just to make sure it's not a total fucking train wreck and they yeah. don't have to cut it which does happen sure also the student directors run the festival so it's a great producing experience as far as like getting things up on its feet checking in they have um the second week tech mini tech for like a day, it takes all goddamn day. It's like a 20-hour yeah, yeah. day to tech all these pieces. There might be like 50 pieces. And they're presented over three days, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of the second week. And it's all goddamn day. And it's exhausting because some of these pieces are like, hey, fun clowns playing banjo. And then the next piece is like a 25-minute thing where someone comes out and does a one-woman show about a terrible thing that happened to them when they were a kid. And it's this beautiful visual musical thing and everyone's crying. And then back to clowns. It is right. so overstimulating also. When you go home for the two weeks – of break it's like all the fuck you can think about because you have to decompress from all the like yeah. stuff that just happened just got like loaded yeah and it took me a, a almost a couple of years of being on campus because i actually started in dmp but it took me a couple of years to realize that with nutcracker that first of all that's where drama intensive arts was born in the vacuum of because that was why intensive arts existed right. in the first place was right. because nutcracker was happening a lot of students had to do it but then a lot of other students had fucking mm -hmm. nothing to do and drama has nothing to do with it yeah so 
they're like, well, we'll do this little theater festival. The, the, the intellectual properties that are born in those two weeks, holy shit, that would go on to become real films, plays, pieces, bands that get oh, formed yeah. in that two weeks that then go on to like, fuck drama. We're a band now. Yeah, like, yeah. Stuff gets born in that. And it was, I always thought that it was such a fucking crime that not every artist on campus yeah. got their, at least their own version or some participation in ours. Like Jesus Christ, if the wig and makeup people could help us with that, because oh, yeah. we had no support. You know, yeah. you get like a block and a a, a couch, and yeah. you got to make it out of that because you get nothing, no lighting. Right. You get like four lighting cues for your whole piece, no matter yeah. how long it is. Um, it was almost like if you've ever done like a forty-eight hour film festival, or so, it's like that kind of thing. And it it it's such a crunch, but you really. And this is the key, dude, that I would, this is kind of my whole response to the whole thing you said, which is like, you never had a chance to say, okay, thank you. This is the faculty speaking. Thank mm -hmm. you for doing all of the fucking cookie cutter shit that we told you to do. And go, no, mm -hmm. again, stop back again, all goddamn right. semester. Right. What do you think? Right. What, what do you, you want to do? do? Well, yeah. and like the, the resources, I think of like saying like you get to use and I, I i i definitely underutilized that in grad school because because yale had a lot of those where you could check out cameras and stuff and you could yeah, like reserve spaces cool. there's a recording studio you could reserve and like um i think there's more of that at uncsa now too but like just giving people the resources of being like like look here's a lot of classes we're trying to make you as good as you can possibly be also make like, stuff <laughs> yeah go for it you know here's right. here's some resources like mess up you know, yes. like make Sandbox. mistakes, screw up now while it doesn't matter and you're not getting paid for it. And and it's like, Nobody so cares. that you're not like paralyzed with fear the first time you try to release, in my case, a record. Yeah. Because you've never, you know, I mean, the first, the first non-classical record I ever contributed to the songs that I wrote were settings of poetry because I was so terrified of writing lyrics that right. I like stole, you know, I like took well stills a strong word it was public domain but i like took alfred lord tennyson poetry and said it because i was yeah. like i like it was something i was so self-conscious about because i like hadn't really done a lot of like like poetry or prose in that way of the same right. artistic statement other than like you know essays that i wrote for english classes so like giving people the opportunities and the resources to do that kind of thing um is is just like it's such I think maybe that's the solution to like combat some of the rigidity is to just like also separately say, here's stuff to use. Have fun, you know, and it feels like a, like I said, it feels like a thank you for trusting us on that other shit. Yeah. Like because it, it feels like they're giving it back to you and saying, yeah, believe me, we know you don't always want to fucking always get yeah. like, yeah, here you go, because like, we, we relate. Yeah, we, exactly. It's like this, it's this admission of like, we, because I think there is a lot of pressure of like, uh, I don't know how, how the other schools necessarily felt, but in the, at right. least for the music school, it felt like every second that you were not practicing, you should be practicing. Like there's right. no, like if you were hanging out, watching TV on your couch, you're wasting time that you should be practicing. Falling like, behind. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so it was, it was this like, like, and if you didn't want to, like, you know, there were days that I was like, I don't really want to play guitar today, 
And I was like, am I like a fraud for not always right. being very, very excited about playing guitar all the time? And you had to like sit with your own humanity of like, this is not a thing that anyone is supposed to be able to do. Like the fact that right. I'm doing it a lot is crazy to begin with. Like this is an extremely, you know, one of your legs is up on a stool. Like it's, I had back problems in high school and had to like switch the way that I sat. Like this is an extremely strange thing to be doing as a person in the world. Like, you know you what I really like about anything. you? I want to give what? you a compliment because I feel like it's a rare quality. I feel like you do a great job of in the mountain that we're all climbing of life and skill and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You do a great job of, at least at this point in your life, you know, I just met you today. Sure. But it's like people spend a lot of time climbing, which is mm -hmm. what we're all hopefully doing. Hopefully you just don't set up camp and give up and get stagnant. But if you're climbing sure. in life and you're trying to get better at a skill or successful in your career, whatever, relationship – it's like you're always climbing. You're always looking up. You're like, oh, I could be that. I could do that. Oh, and I hope I get to this. And I hope I get better yeah. at that. And you're like going up and up and up and up, which is great. But mm -hmm. every fucking now and then for perspective, you got to be like, oh, whoa, I'm <laughs> yeah, so exactly. high up. Oh, I used like, to do – I used to – You seem so great I was at a, that. I was a TA for the for the oral skills listening class mm -hmm. at, in the music school. Um, and I used to do that for – for students where they would get really like the, the teacher, David Winkleman, is, was really, really good at keeping the pace of the class right at the edge of where the student's ability was. So it was always That's doable, tough, but job. challenging. It was yeah. really he was awesome at it. It's but like teacher. what it meant is that they always felt like they were barely able to do it. And the consideration <laughs> wasn't necessarily made that like they were getting better because right. the pace of the class was moving. So they were they would be halfway through their second year in, of the class and be like, I don't know why I still can't do this stuff. And I would I would flip back in the book and just be like, do that one right now. And they would do it flawlessly. And I would be like, that's the thing you struggled with last year. Like you are getting better. It's just there's no like concession. No one's saying out loud like. Hey, it is also getting harder. Like the thing that you wanted to do two years ago, you, it's easy for you now. So it's not what you want to do anymore. You want to do that now and it's in front of you. But like you can feel behind if you don't realize that you are making progress. You um, got to check in with that and you have to, sometimes yeah. you need someone to do it for you. But I really feel like it's a good skill set. Like you seem to have developed where it's like, I'm starting to feel like. Mm -hmm. tired i'm starting to feel like exhausted from the climb and my arms yeah. are sore and it's like first of all your arms are sore because you're climbing <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't fucking exactly. climb at all yeah yeah so that's something and then second while you're resting take a look around and see how high up you yeah. are and that i have to say is one of the reasons why i don't delete anything i make I try to mm. save everything. I don't revisit stuff a lot, but every now and then I go back to stuff I made. And I mean everything, a play I wrote, a, yeah. uh, a rap I did or whatever stupid thing I was trying to make. And I, cause I just, I'm, I'm always making shit. I've always been like that. And I yeah. try to save everything and I, I go back and yeah, most of the time I'm like, Glad this yeah. isn't out. Yeah. Like, Jesus, well, God. But, even and, so, but like, it's because I know how much farther right. along I've gotten. And every now and then, I discover something old. I'm like, this is going to be fucking bad. Yeah. And I, I'm like, well, I don't hate this. I'll, yeah, I'll be damned. Well, I think yeah. the, the funniest thing to me is like, when I, I, I put out my first record uh, when I was, uh, I guess it was 2016, I think when it was finally released, I'd recorded it over the, the period of time, but it was a classical guitar record. 
that. Do you want to um, plug it? Can people find I, it? Is it like it's out? called Scordatura? Yeah, it's on it's on all the streaming stuff. It was all right. in different alternate tunings, and I was very, um, I was terrified. And I haven't made a classical record since. I've made other records, but like, I was terrified to put anything out because I hadn't, and I felt like this was going to be this like seminal thing, and I didn't want people to like judge me, and I didn't feel like I was good enough. And I had a teacher, uh, Michael Kadirka, told me like, you're always gonna go in a couple of years i'll be good enough to do this like there's no time in your life that you're ever gonna look back on you three years ago and not go i'm better now than i was then like right so you you if you think like that you're just never ever gonna record anything so you that's true i you think you're good enough to do it go. you should do it and then you might think it's stupid later but who cares like you have to let go of this like you know, this like this fear that people are going to judge you for the things that, you know, for the for the instrumental music that you're putting out, like that was written by other people in that case. But absolutely. And I think the other thing that's really crucial, and this is like right alongside that, it's like a parallel of that, which is have faith in yourself if you've practiced the skill of creation and of whatever, you know, field it is, guitar, mm -hmm. comedy, whatever. Have some faith that you are as a craftsperson, mm -hmm. a, an endless fountain. Yeah. Like, that's why people used to tell me when I was doing stand up and, and like, especially in the open mic game, like no one knows who the fuck you are. And people will yeah. be like, Oh, I heard someone do your joke. Like they stole that joke from you. And mm -hmm. they would be like, aren't you pissed at them or whatever? And I was like, I don't fucking care. Like yeah. steal the joke. I don't give a shit. You know yeah. why? Because if I'm only as good as my one joke yeah. or some joke, then I'm a piece of shit comedian. <laughs> like I'll write a fucking thousand jokes yeah, that'll I bury that one that you stole. And so yeah. taking one from me is meaningless. Like I really yeah. don't care. And I think it's this, you have to have a little bit of that arrogance. Like it's one of mm. the reasons why I love hip hop. Cause almost every hip hop artist, even if you've never heard of them is like, I'm the motherfucking greatest. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I relate to like, even if you don't really feel that way in your art, there is a little bit of like, fake it till you make it like go hard, make a bold yeah. choice. Well, Do and the I think thing. that like, like being like, at least in my case, like, like I was saying before, like, if you are trying to be, you know, quote unquote, the best and you're chasing what everyone right. else you think is also chasing, which is like this perfection that doesn't really exist, then you're going to be self-conscious and you're going to be worried about people yeah. judging you. But if you're like chasing a thing that you're excited about, you know, when you've hit it and then you yeah. can release that and it's beautiful. And, and it's sometimes you're never going to get quite there. You I've sat on. I mean, the last record that I put out with with uh, with Early Gray was like we sat on it for a year over the pandemic going eh, it needs to be. Ah, and we finally just were like, we have to let this go. We It has to just come right. out. We can't do this anymore. Like we did half of it in a bedroom when there was a plague. Like it just needs to be not here anymore. Release. And and like and, and we're not going to not release it, you know, so just do it and then, you know, start working on other stuff. Um, and so it's been, it's funny cause every time I put out a record, I think I got, I figured it out now. I can like, I'm not worried about it anymore. And then I start right. making the next one and I do the same thing again where I'm like, Oh, uh, that's not quite, Oh, it needs more that we're missing like this level of frequency. Maybe I'd like add like a, you know, or something there or add right. change the form. I don't think it's working, whatever it is, which is great. But at a certain point you have to kind of go like, there is no real perfect, like, your head is way too deep in this at this point. Everyone you've shown it to has only said good things about it. 
and there right. are people you've shown it to who would absolutely tell you if it needed work. Exactly so right. Like just like trust believe. That, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like suspending your own like disbelief about your own work and trying to kind of right. I mean, that classical record, I didn't listen to it when it when I released it. I didn't listen to it again for years and years. Yeah, sure. And then like six months ago, I was at my parents' house and my dad started playing it. And I was like, who is this? And he was like, this is your record. And I was like, that's not so bad. I don't know why I was so worried. I mean, it's not the most incredible thing I've ever heard, but it's probably good. You know? Who's yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like that. I was like, why are you playing classical guitar music? Like, right, you're, right, right. And, and like, he was like, this is because I it's love you. you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I want, well, really, I think he was just like trying to see how long he could play it before. Yeah. I get away. I noticed which like three notes in, I was like, yeah. what is that? You know? Right. Um, but yeah, it was, um, and that's normally something I can't stand doing, especially if I'm singing on the record. It's like, please, right. please turn it off. I don't want to hear like what I was afraid of hearing, you know, right. when I was making the record. Drake, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today, dude. This is super fun. Of course. I gotta, yeah. I we got to wrap it up. But, um, man, so many cool things I had no idea we would talk about. It was very, very Yeah, me too. It just flowed very well. It was wonderful. I appreciate it. Very, it. I appreciate uh, the invite. Yeah, um, yeah. of course and do you i mean do you have any other plugs this will be out in just a couple of weeks it'll be out in like december i don't know if you have anything mm. coming out or performing anything or anything i don't have anything coming out right now i've got you know my music is under drake duffer on wherever you can stream uh my duo early gray early with a y gray with an a has a few records out as well oh yeah um also wherever wherever music is on the digital world i um, love it Whatever you're listening to this on, you're likely to be able to yes. find Drake Duffer's music. So exactly. please, please, please go get it, stream it, download it. If there's any way that you can buy it, fucking buy it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. See you soon.